Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, here we go. It is week nine, the last week, the final week. It is the conclusion of our study through the book Song of Solomon that we are calling The Bible's Guide to a Better Marriage. Have you guys enjoyed the series? You guys really enjoyed the series? We pray that your marriage gets better, that you go from struggle to snuggle. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for you. But hey, we have something really exciting because in the next next two weeks, we're going to have a special bonus message. It's a Q&A session where we're going to be answering your questions, me and my wife, Ashley, and another godly couple and a single dude in our church. We're going to answer your questions about dating, about sex, relationships, marriage, children. So whatever it is, there's a link in the comment section right now. Go ahead and click that link. If you have a question over anything that we have talked about, maybe things we have not talked about in Song of Solomon, submit your question, and we may answer it live on stage in an upcoming sermon. And after that, I'm really excited because we're going to be starting a brand new sermon series in August called We Are Redemption. It's going to be all about why the church is essential, because Redemption Church exists to see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through Jesus. And I don't know about you. But people need the church now more than ever. So we're going to talk about what it means to be a gospel-centered movement. That's going to be amazing. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, today we're going to be in the book Song of Solomon talking about the Bible's guide to a better dating. That's right. Song of Solomon closes with her giving some dating advice to her single friends, the daughters of Jerusalem. And so we're going to be actually talking about the Bible's guide to better dating. So if you could go ahead and do me a favor, everybody who's watching online, everybody who's here, pull out your phone, click the share button, because we all know somebody who needs some help when it comes to the subject of dating. So tag them in the comments, get them some wisdom, Invite them to come sit with you, enjoy church online today, because today we're going to talk about the Bible's guide to better dating. Now, if you are married, okay, do not tune out on me yet, because this is very important for you. You say, but I'm married. What does this have to do with me? It has everything to do with you for three reasons. Number one, if you have not paid attention to anything that I have said so far in Song of Solomon, you may end up single again, and nobody wants that. So you need to pay attention. Go back and listen to the sermon archives on the podcast so you don't end up single again. The second reason, if you have children, one day they're going to grow up, they're going to become teenagers, and you're going to need to help them navigate dating in a way that glorifies God and keeps you out of jail. And the third reason (laughs) that this is going to be important for all of us is because, well, the majority of our church is in fact 
single. Before we started this sermon series, we took a survey of our church. It's about 55% of our church is, in fact, single, and a lot of them are between the ages of 20 and 30. So not only are they single, but they're also ready to mingle. And so that means we need to help them. And the truth is, redemption would not exist if it was not for the young, single people in our church. Every single week, they love, they give, and they serve to make redemption possible. They're the ones who are opening the door for you. They're the ones who are helping you park your car. They're running the live stream. They're running the slides. They're on the worship team. They're even in our leadership team. And so because they serve us so much, we want to be able to give back and we want to serve them, especially when it comes to this very big issue. And for many people, it is the issue, dating. And so we're going to talk today about dating. And the reality is, for the first time in American's history, there is more single people than there are married people, right? 30 years ago, the average age for marriage was in the early 20s. Today, it's 27 for a woman. It's 30 for a young man. People are waiting longer and later in life to get married. And so that means that there is a larger period of their life that they're spending dating. And it is a very confusing period for them. In fact, one of the authors from the New York Times, David Brooks, he writes this when it comes to dating, is that today, dating is a brand new social frontier, and people are going through it on their own. He says they hit puberty around the age of 13, and many do not get married until past 30. That is two decades of coupling, uncoupling, hooking up, relationships, and shopping around. This period isn't just a transition period anymore, but rather, it's a period of a sprawling lifestyle stage that nobody knows the rules. Once young, once young people came a calling, it was a part of courtship. Then they had us dating, they went to going steady. But now the rules in courtship have dissolved. They've been replaced by ambiguity and uncertainty. Cell phones, Facebook, and text messages have given people access to hundreds of friends, and that only increases the fluidity and the drama and the anxiety. Dating is supposed to be a period of life where there's supposed to be excitement, there's supposed to be passion, there's supposed to be energy, but rather many people would describe their dating experience filled with frustration, confusion, and anxiety. All you single people, raise your hand. Tell me if that's you. Is that you? Okay, look around. Those are your options. There you go. Make it better. Make it better. But for real, this is a big issue, especially for young women. Okay, young women in the church are amazing. In our church, we have a lot of amazing, incredible, godly, wonderful young women who are pursuing after the Lord, growing in holiness. They are maturing in their faith, experiencing life change through Jesus, and they're looking for somebody to experience that with them. But then when you come into the church and you look around... Yeah, there's not a whole lot of godly, mature men in the church. If those men knew how many wonderful women there were in the church, then maybe they would be in church. But the least likely person to attend church in America is a young man between the ages of 18 and 30 years old. They're the least likely person to attend church. So you wonder, where are they at? Funny to mention, they're the number one downloader of pornography. They purchase more video games than anybody else, and most of them are probably still living at their mama's house. 
You say, where are they? Where are they? Well, they're out doing things that they shouldn't do, breaking commandments, and then going back and staying at their mama's house. And so it leaves a lot of frustration, confusion, and anxiety, especially for young single women. And you understand, because all of your friends are dating, and then you're like a third wheel. You get that, right? Right? Your friends, they're getting engaged. Another friend got engaged, and you're like, oh, wow, I'm so proud of you. Oh, you want me to be a bridesmaid? Oh, okay, can I wear the last seven dresses that I wore? Do I have to go through this? Oh, you want me to take a picture with you and pretend that I'm excited? Wow, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Right, you're laughing because it's, because you don't want to cry. That's the reason you're laughing. And, and you feel like you're an unpiece, unclaimed piece of luggage at an airport, just going around in circles. Anybody want me? Anybody want me? Somebody, please take me home. Right? That's how you, that's how you feel. And inevitably, anytime you go to a wedding, there's always that family member, there's always that relative, they're just hitting you on the shoulder, you're next, that could be you, you're next, you're next, you're next, right? Right? You know, that's annoying, and you want to punch them, but they're old, so you can't do that. But, uh, but it is really frustrating. But you know how to stop that? Here's what you do. Next time you go to a funeral, sit next to him and say, you're next, you're next. <laughs> no, that's terrible advice. That's terrible advice. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. But it is frustrating. There is confusion. There is anxiety. And there is frustration. And for a lot of people, this is not just an issue. This is the issue of their life. And so we want to help you. And we want to give you the Bible's guide to better dating. And in fact, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 8, closes out with her giving dating advice to her single friends. And here's the idea that I want to leave you with today. The decisions you make today determines the quality of marriage that you have in your future. If you're taking notes, I want you to go ahead and write that down. The decisions that you make today, who you are, how you live, the decisions that you make, how you date, how you live your life today matters because the decisions you make today have a direct impact on the quality of marriage that you have in your future. Growing up, I played sports. And in high school, my coaches, they would tell me this, you play like you practice. It's the same thing. The decisions you make today while you are young have a direct correlation to the quality of marriage that you have in your future. We understand this in every other aspect of our lives. We understand it when it comes to finances, that if you work hard, if you budget, steward, save, tithe, then it's going to set you up for financial success in your future. We understand that. We understand it when it comes to our education. For those of you who are in college, you know that if you study well, if you raise your GPA, if you put in the hours today, it's going to set you up for success later on in the future. We understand this when it comes to our health. That if we diet, exercise, if we get good rest and make wise choices, then it's going to set us up for health and success later on in our future. In fact, it's only in this area of relationships that we forget this very important principle, that you play like you practice, that the decisions you make today while you are single have a very important impact on the quality of marriage that you have in your future. It's only when it comes to relationships that we forget this, and might I submit to you that, that the relationship aspect is the most important aspect where we should be applying this principle. 
And so what we're going to see today is that Solomon is going to close by giving us some advice. He's going to give us some tips. He's going to give us some, some ways for us to have a better marriage. And so he's going to show us an equation. It's three things. Three things we're going to see today as Song of Solomon closes. That godly standards plus godly character equals better marriages. Okay, Godly standards, who you are, the decisions that you make, plus godly character, how you live your life equals better marriages. And some of you are thinking, I thought this sermon was over dating. Why are you talking about better marriages? I thought we were talking about dating. Yes, but I don't know if you knew this or not. The purpose of dating is to get married. Okay, people don't know that anymore. The purpose of dating is to end up getting married. Dating is evaluation. Dating is when you are watching someone else to see if they're a potential spouse that you could pursue marriage together. Dating is a process. Dating is not a status. Okay, that's what a lot of people think. Update my Facebook status. In a relationship. We're Facebook official. No, dating is not a status. Dating is a process, and it's supposed to end with the goal of marriage. So those of you who've been dating eight years, you're doing it wrong. Right? If you date somebody longer than a person can be president, you are doing it wrong. That is not the way that it's supposed to be. Dating is a process that leads to a pursuit of marriage. And here's the process we're going to see. Godly standards plus godly character equals better marriages. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 8. Here is how we start this, with godly standards. Here's what they say. The others speak. They say, we have a little sister. And she has no breasts. That's another way of saying that she is young, that she is still single. She's not yet ready to reach the point of maturity where she's going out to dates and do other things. She's still young. She's still single. She has no breasts. So they say, what shall we do for our sister on the day that she is spoken for? When she grows up, when she becomes a little mature, what are we going to do? If she is a wall, then we will build a battlement of silver around her. But if she is a door, then we will enclose her with boards and cedars. And then she speaks up for herself in verse 10, and she makes a decision. We all have a decision to make. Because the decisions you make today determine the quality of marriage that you have in your future. And so in verse 10, she makes a decision. She speaks for herself. And what does she say? She says, I was a wall. The song title today comes from verse 10. Don't think I didn't forget the song title for today. It comes from verse 10. It's called, I was a wall. I asked Ashley this week, I said, I said what, what does this remind you of? What song does this remind you of? And we were discussing it, and she said, Wonderwall by Oasis. <laughs> Great song. I remember being in ninth grade, crying my little emo heart out on my grandparents' <laughs> couch. And I was like, I will be your wonder wall. Like that's, I love that song. I love that song. But for me, I was thinking about this week and I think about Rick James, right? She's a brick house. Y'all know that song. Come on, sing it with me, everybody. She's a brick house. She's my tomate and she is not letting it hang out because she has godly standards. <laughs> Very true. See, when it comes to dating, you have to commit to that. You can't halfway do that. Somebody come get y'all's pastor, all right? <laughs> when it comes to dating, you have two options. You can either be a wall or you can be a door. 
You really have two options. And the metaphor is pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? You can be a wall. You can have godly standards. You can do things God's way. You can live your life according to God's word and God's will. You can be strong. You can be bold. You can be confident. You can be secure in your identity in Christ, pursuing holiness, pursuing godliness. You can be a wall with godly standards, or you can be a door with worldly standards. There's a difference between the way that God's people date and worldly people date. God's people date like walls. Worldly dating is like a door. Anybody who texts, you text them back. Anybody who calls, you answer. Anybody who asks, you say yes. Anybody who knocks on the door, you open up, you let them in because you're a door. You know it's not right, you know it's not God's best, but you have lowered your standards and now you're dating like a door in the ways of the world because there's a difference between how we live, how we date. You can be a wall or you can be a door. Listen, one of the things that I've been saying throughout all of Song of Solomon, and this applies directly to you, that if you want what everybody else has, guess what you do? You do what everybody else does. If you want relationship the way that everybody else has relationships, then just keep doing what everybody else does when it comes to relationships. If you have a track record of failed relationships, if you have a past of hook up, shack up, break up, repeat the process all over again, if you have a track record of trauma and guilt and shame and condemnation and regrets, guess what? Keep doing it. And you're going to end up with the exact same thing. Just so you know, the definition of insanity is repeating the same thing and expecting a different outcome. If you want what everybody else has, just do what everybody else does. How is dating going according to the ways of the world? Just so you know, it doesn't look very good. And so because I've been removed from dating for so long, because me and Ashley, we've been together for 15 years next Friday. I had to go and do a little bit of research, and so I went on the internet, which is the great place of truth, and I wanted to see what dating is like for for people today. And so I just pulled a couple of quotes from an article, and this is what one woman said, Jenna 31, she says, I dislike how guys are now used to being able just to summon a girl over and not put in a lot of work first. It ruins it for those of us who actually want to be courted and dated. Okay, sound familiar? Zoe 28 says, the fact that everyone seems to hate modern dating apps, but there seems to be no other way around it. It's like the way that we date has become a necessary evil. Even so, if something isn't perfect about a person, we just get right back online without considering giving them a chance. It all feels like we are disposable. Julie, 28, says, it makes me so sad. I just want to be courted and romanced like men used to do. Is that so much to ask? I just want to go on a date. I can't remember the last time that a man called me and actually made dinner plans other than just saying, hey, do you want to hang out and get some drinks? Okay, it's, it's hard to be single. Lindsay 27 says, right now I'm in two texting conversations with different guys. I'm on three conversations on Tinder and no dates have been planned. I feel like I'm quote unquote dating, but I'm not actually going anywhere because, because we're not actually going on dates. The actual process of getting offline like just as much, takes just as much work as endless swiping. And then she describes what many people I've talked to describe the dating scene and says, it's exactly exhausting before it ever even begins. 
these women, they're in their late 20s and early 30s. Okay, the dating scene is not going well. The modern dating process has failed us. And I would just encourage you that if you want to do things the world's way, then go ahead and do things the world's way. And then don't be shocked or surprised when you get what the world gets. You can be a door where anybody comes in, or you can be a wall and you can raise your standards and not settle for less than God's best for your life. Listen, there is nothing wrong with you if you are single that you're not a half a person. There's nothing broken, there's nothing damaged about you when you are single. Listen, it takes a strong person to be able to be single in a world that is so accustomed to settling for anything just to be able to say that they have something. It takes a strong person to remain single in a world that is so accustomed to settling for anything just to be able to say that they have something. There's an expectation on you that you're to be in a relationship, but that expectation comes from the doors. That doesn't come from the Lord. That expectation comes from the culture. That expectation is not placed on you by God. That right now in your life, if you are single, you are raising godly standards in your life. There is nothing broken about you. Being single does not make you weak. In fact, if you do it right, it makes you strong. Because it takes a strong person to remain single in a world that is so accustomed to settling for anything just to be able to say that they have something. What I encourage couples or young singles rather in our church is this, never settle for less than God's best for your life. Never settle for less than God's best for your life. Don't be a door and open up to relationships you have no business being in. Don't be a door giving yourself to people you have no business giving yourself to. You say, but I need to follow my heart. Proverbs says we don't follow our hearts. We guard our hearts. That you want to protect yourself. You want to be able to develop godly standards in your life. Never settle for less than God's best for your life. She made a decision when she was a little girl. She said, I am going to be a wall. And then every day after that, she kept making that decision. Today, I'm going to be a wall. Tomorrow, I'm going to be a wall. Next week, I'm going to be a wall. Next month, next year, next guy who asks, the answer is no, because I am a wall. I'm a brick wall. She made a decision that she was going to be a wall because she was not going to settle for less than God's best for her life. She had godly standards. And here's what happens when you have godly standards. It attracts men who have godly character. Because here's what we see next. She said, I was a wall. And then she met Solomon, and then she ain't no wall no more. Here's what we see that's going to happen. She has godly standards, and then she meets Solomon, a man who has godly character. Verse 10, I was a wall, and then my breasts, they became like towers. So she's not a little girl anymore. She's grown up, she's matured, she's ready to settle down. And then here's what we see. And then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. That's a play on words right there. The Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom. Solomon is a rendering of the word shalom. She says, when I found Solomon, I found shalom, I found peace. I wasn't out looking for him, but when I saw him, I knew that I needed to be with him. Because she had godly standards, and then she met the one in whom her eyes found peace. Now she found a man with godly character. In verse 11, Solomon had a vineyard at Belhaman, 
And he let it out to the vineyard keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit the thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own. She's talking about her body, her virginity, purity. It's a metaphor for her sexuality. She says, my vineyard, my very own is before me. Oh, Solomon, he may have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit there to hundred. One of the reasons that I love studying through entire books of the Bible is because it allows us to be able to understand the scripture in context. So one of our core values here at Redemption is called expository preaching. Fancy college word. Let's all say it together. Expository preaching. You guys, you guys sound so smart. Okay, here's what that word means. That we say what the Bible says. That we start in chapter one, verse one, and then we work our way all the way through till we reach the very end. And it allows us to be able to understand the scripture in context. Because if I were just to preach Song of Solomon chapter 8, verse 12, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. If I were just to say, okay, Solomon had a vineyard in Belhamon, he let it out to the vineyard keepers. Okay, here's my message for today. You'd be like, what? That doesn't really make any sense. But when we understand Song of Solomon in the context of the entire story, you're going to see that it actually makes a lot more sense. Because if you go all the way back to Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 6, here's what we read. My brothers were angry with me, and they made me work out in the vineyards. So for her, she grew up spending all of her time working in the vineyards. And she thought it was because her brothers were angry at her and punishing her. But here in chapter 8, verse 11, here's what we see. They were not punishing her. They were actually preparing her. Because who owned the vineyard? Solomon did. That if she wasn't preparing herself, she never would have met the man who, in her eyes, she found peace. Godly standards plus godly character. When you have godly standards, it brings in people who have godly character. Because also what we see in Song of Solomon chapter 1 is that she made a decision to be a wall and that she was not going to be like the veiled women. She wasn't going to be like those other girls. She wasn't going to be the cultural standard of the day. She wasn't going to be hanging out, flaunting her stuff under the shade tree, just being a door, letting any man come on in. No, she made a decision that she was going to be a wall and that she was going to raise godly standards and she was going to prepare herself and that's when she met Solomon. You understand exactly what I'm talking about. How many of you when you were teenagers, you thought your parents were idiots? Okay. Raise your hand, because you all thought your parents were idiots, right? You thought your parents were so mean, and they were so cruel, and that they were so strict, and that they never wanted you to go out and have any fun. You had a thing called a curfew, and none of your friends had curfews, but you had to be at home at 10. Your dad would ask you, hey, what time are you getting home? You're like, later. I don't need later. I need a time, right? I'll be home at 10. No, you'll be home at 9.59. Okay, yes, sir. And you thought your parents were so strict and so mean, like they were punishing you. But inevitably, at every wedding I go to, after the dance, after the cake, maybe a few drinks, they grab the the microphone, the, the bride and the groom, and they start thanking their friends, and they start thanking their family. And inevitably, here's normally what happens. They get on the microphone, they say, I want to thank my parents, because you protected me when I was a kid that you knew better for me than I knew for myself. And I thought you were hard on me. I thought you were strict on me. 
But really what I see is this. You are preparing me for something better. That's the same thing that we see in Song of Solomon. She thought that her brothers were punishing her, but really they were preparing her for something better. Maybe, just maybe, God had the Holy Spirit inspire Solomon to write this verse because God, like a good heavenly father, wants best for his kids. See, when it comes to dating and sex and relationships, I want you to understand something, that God is not withholding anything from you. In fact, God is preparing you for something better. See, a lot of people think that God is withholding something from them. God is not withholding anything from you. In fact, God is preparing you so that way you can experience something better. God's way, God's word, God's will is God's best for your life. And listen, I know that when it comes to Song of Solomon, this is not normal. I get it. I understand. Waiting until marriage to have sex is not normal. I get it. I know what everybody else out there is doing. And whenever I teach this subject, I get pushback from a lot of people because nobody does it that way. Nobody lives their life that way. That's outdated. That's archaic. That's, that's old-fashioned. And maybe it is. But maybe, just maybe, God knows more than we do. Maybe, just maybe, God knows what's best for us. Maybe God's a heavenly father and we're little kids. And he is not punishing us or withholding from us, but rather he is preparing us for something better. Normal is not working. If you look around in the world today, normal is not working. Do you know what normal is? Normal is divorce. Do you know what normal is? Normal is single parent families. Do you know what normal is? Normal is having a parent exchange in the Kroger parking lot. That's normal today. Do you know what normal is? Normal is drunk text at two in the morning. Normal is waking up with a hangover. Normal is not remembering their name. That's normal. Depression, anxiety, therapy, those things are normal. And I don't know about you, but I don't want normal for my life. I don't know about you, but I don't want normal for my girls. I don't know about you, but I don't want normal, and God doesn't want normal for you either. There is not a single Bible verse where it says, behold, God makes all things normal. It's not in there. He says, behold, God makes all things new. God doesn't want normal for your life. God wants better for your life. We are more than normal. No, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That he could do far more normal than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. That's what he says. I could do far more than you can ask, that you could think, or that you could imagine. Some of y'all settled for less. When God wants for you to have more. God wants you to have better. God is not withholding anything from you. In fact, God is preparing you for something better. So if you're here and you are single, this is a season of preparation for your life. If you are a single man, this is the time in your life where you need to be growing in godly character. That's what Solomon was doing. He was growing in godly character. For you young men, now is the time for you to be growing in your character, not your NBA 2K character. You need to be growing in your godly character. Some of y'all, you've been working on your game. You don't need to be working on game. You need to be working on your character, right? Some of you, you're like, I need to find a girl. No, you don't. You need to find your Bible. And you need to work on your character. 
And for you young men, let me just encourage you with this, that if you raise your character, if you develop your character, it will turn you to a five to a nine real fast. (laughs) Because you'll be head and shoulders above some of these fools out in the world. You want to work on your character. Now, ladies, if I'm going to whip these boys into shape, if I'm going to be teaching them how to read their Bible and treat a woman and how to pray, like I've been doing for the last nine weeks in Song of Solomon, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to work on your standards. I need you to raise your standards so that way you can raise the quality of men that you bring into your life. Listen, if every guy who's going for you is a loser and only wants one thing, maybe the problem is not only with their character, maybe the problem's also with your standards. That you need to look at the bait you're using if you don't like the fish that you keep catching. You need to raise your standards. Don't settle for less than what God's best for your life is. Don't compromise your beliefs just so that you can get a date. Don't give up when God has more for you. You need to raise the standards in your life. And I can guarantee you that when you raise the standards, you will raise the quality of men that God begins to bring into your life as well. Because godly standards plus godly character equals better marriages. And so here's what I want to do. I want to just give you 10 tips for better dating. Dating is confusing. It's frustrating. It is anxious. But I want to help make it a little bit simple. And I want to give you the Bible's guide to better dating. So here we go. 10 tips for better dating. Me and Ashley, we were on our first date about 15 years ago. And we did not do any of this. (laughs) And so I have learned this the hard way. I've learned this because we didn't go through this. We didn't apply this in our lives. But I've seen it play out in your life. I've watched. I've sat back. And I've done counseling and discipleship with a lot of people. And so I want to give you 10 tips to better dating. The first one is this. Do not date non-Christians. Okay, If you've been at redemption for longer than... 30 minutes, you probably know where we stand on this, right? Do not date non-Christians. You say, but they believe in God. James says even demons believe in God. I would not suggest dating a demon. You say, but they're hot. So is hell. (laughs) We don't just date hot. We're looking for something more than hot. We're looking for people who are holy. Do not date non-Christians. And here's the reason why. Not just because it's against God's word, but also it just doesn't work. Couples with the highest divorce rates in America, three times the national average, three times, are couples who do not share the same religious affiliation. And here's the reason why. It's because it's, it's about allegiance. That your allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is above all things to you. Their allegiance is to themselves. And you have a mismatch when it comes to the most important thing in your life. You can't share the most important thing. You can't pray with them. You can't read your Bible with them. When you begin to have kids, God bless you trying to figure that out because you want to go to church and they won't and you want to pray and they don't and you want to raise your kids in godliness and then they don't and there's a lot of problems that come along with this. And so not only does it not work, but more than that, it's just lonely. Could you imagine laying in bed for the rest of your life next to someone that you don't share the most important thing with? It might be fine now while you're dating, but wait until you get 10 years down the line in marriage, and then you have to start working on some real big issues, and then you realize that you have a difference in your allegiance. The only thing more lonely than being single 
is being unequally yoked with somebody for the rest of your life. Do not date non-Christians. The second one is this. If you aren't ready for marriage, guess what? You're not ready to date. If you're not ready for marriage, then you're not ready to date. You need to ask yourself, in the next year, could I see myself settling down and getting married? If the answer is no, save yourself the emotional time, energy, finances, money, and just don't date. Because your future is very important. And now is a time where you can begin developing the character, working on the standards. You you could be maximizing your singleness for God's glory and for your own holiness. Finish college, right? Build some relationships. Go on a mission trip. Catch your foxes. Get your finances in order, right? Work on you before you get in a relationship with somebody else, and then you're so busy and concerned and consumed about them. No, take this time to develop your standards, to develop your character, and if you're not ready for marriage, then you're not ready to date. So a few examples would be this. If you're in college and you know you're going to go for your master's degree, and you want to wait until you graduate before you get married, and it's going to be four years down the line, hey, save yourself the time and just wait. If you are getting out of an addiction, maybe pornography, alcoholism, drug addiction, now is probably not the time for you to be getting in a relationship. You need to get yourself straight before you begin to date. Or maybe you just come out of a toxic relationship. Maybe you just got divorced. It's not the right time for you to go ahead and start dating yet because then you're going to bring all of that baggage and toxicity into the next relationship and you're going to repeat those patterns again. If you aren't ready for marriage, take your time, slow down, Don't worry about dating right now. Begin to work on yourself. The next one is this. Date somebody that you are entirely attracted to. Are looks important? Yes. You're going to have to look at them for the rest of your life. So you might as well kind of like what you see, but let me tell you this. Even eye candy has a shelf life. (laughs) Looks are important, but they're not the most important thing in a relationship. You want to be entirely attracted to them. When I met Ashley, I thought she was beautiful. And as we begin to develop our relationship, there were more beautiful things about her that I discovered along the way. And today we've been married and she is just as beautiful. No, she is more beautiful today than she was the day that we met because I've gotten to know her entirely. So you got to ask yourself, am I attracted to this person spiritually? The way that they pray, the way that they know God's word, the way that they go to church, do they serve, do they give, do they tithe? Am I attracted to this person spiritually? Are you the person who's always dragging in the church? That may be fine now, but could you have the stamina to drag them to church for the next 50 years? Because that might get a little bit tiring. So you need to think, am I, am I entirely attracted? Am I financially attracted to them? Not, is this person rich or poor, but do they have the work ethic to be able to provide a life that I'm wanting to live? Right? It's not about rich or poor. It's about work ethic. Do they have that sort of work ethic? Can they keep a job? Do they have a job? Can they spell the word job? <laughs> that's, that's very important. Are they emotionally attractive? Hey, do you, have, do you have the same sense of humor? Do you like their sense of humor? Because you might see them like, oh, they're really pretty. But then they have this really weird laugh. And they're like, <laughs> when they laugh, and you're like, we have to stop going to redemption because this pastor's too funny and I just can't stand them. <laughs> For you, that might be annoying, but there might be somebody else who thinks it's cute, right? And they could be entirely attracted to horse laugh person. <laughs> 
But you, it's time for you to say next. Right? Date somebody that you are entirely attracted to. The next one is this. Have realistic expectations. Right? I never want you to settle for less than God's best for your life, but some of you, whoo, you're overshooting yourself for sure. <laughs> You need to have realistic expectations. Some of you ladies, you would, you would meet Jesus and you would say, mm, I don't like the facial hair. Right? That's, that, you got to lower your, no, don't lower, but manage your expectations. Okay, actually, research shows that you don't know what you actually like. So all of you are like, I have a type. No, you don't. Because even dating algorithms realize that people don't choose what they say that they like. Right? And because you got to manage those expectations. So for you ladies, you're like, I want a guy who's 6'2", who has tattoos, but not too many tattoos, just enough to be edgy, but still not get passed up for a promotion. <laughs> and guys are like, I want a girl with blonde hair, brown eyes, she can cook, she can clean, she speaks in tongues, all while doing it naked. Okay, manage your expectations. <laughs> Have realistic expectations, because that person don't exist. So you need to have realistic expectations. Y'all are looking for somebody who's perfect. No, 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 that's not the purpose. You want to find somebody who could be a potential spouse that you could pursue marriage with. You need to have realistic expectations. The next one is this. Just look who's in front of you. All right, dating apps, they're fine. Me and Ashley, we met on the internet. Dating apps are okay, but some people are always looking somewhere else when maybe God has already put that person right there in front of you. That's the story that we see in Song of Solomon, that she was out working in the fields. Solomon owned the fields, and as he was walking through one day, he was like, oh, hey, what's that? I never noticed her before. And then she was one in her eyes that found peace because she was right there in front of him the entire time and it actually became the Bible's guide to a better marriage. It's a beautiful relationship and it all started because he was looking at who was in front of him. She was poor, he was rich. She was a peasant, he was the king, but there she was in front of him and he saw her and in his eyes, she was one who found peace. Some of y'all are overlooking some amazing people who could make a great spouse for you. This could be a single mom, this could be a single dad, this could be somebody who maybe their former relationship, the man dropped the ball in their life and you can come in and you can be a big difference in that life. This could be a widower, a widowee. This could be somebody who's divorced. This could be somebody who has a past of drug addiction or abuse. And because you've never considered them before, you overlook them when maybe that's exactly who's right in front of you the entire time. And so instead of always looking somewhere else, look around. Could be in your small group. Could be in your serve team. Could be in your college class. Could be sitting next to you. Whoever it is, wherever it's at, just take a step back and say, hmm, Look who's in front of me. Okay. The next one is this. Number six, guys initiate, ladies respond. And stretch. Okay. <laughs> guys, you got to initiate. And ladies, you need to respond. Statistically, only 12% of women have ever asked a guy out on a date. Surveyed a couple years ago, 12% of women. 
Okay, and I don't care where you stand on the egalitarian, complementarian gender roles. Statistically, it bears out that women want men to ask them out on a date, and they prefer that men ask them in person. So what this means, guys, is you have to build up the courage. You got a little confidence. You need to be a man, and you need to ask them out on a date. So you need to brush your teeth. You need to wear deodorant. Get a shirt with buttons. Have two eyebrows. And then you need to initiate the date. Guys, you got to ask. And don't do this. Don't, don't do this. Don't say, uh, don't text her friend and say, hey, could you ask your friend to ask God to consider maybe possibly going on a date with me? Don't do that. You're going to lose so many points if you do that. Right, you have the confidence to go up to her and say, hey, I have a Bible, I have a job, and I would like to buy you dinner. Would you be interested in that? And if they say yes, praise the Lord. If they say no, handle rejection like a man. Say, okay, thank you so much for that clarity. Next. <laughs> but you got to have the confidence, guys. You need to initiate. Now, ladies, you need to respond. You have to give them an answer. You can't be like, uh, maybe next week, uh, maybe I have to wash my hair. Are there going to be other people there? <laughs> and here's the reason why you have to give an answer. Because guys are dumb. And if you don't tell them no, they still think they have a shot. <laughs> so just say, no, thank you. You seem like a really great guy, but I just don't think that it's going to go anywhere. You know what? Men appreciate that. And you'll appreciate that because neither of you are wasting your time wondering where you're at. And they're not going to be following you around like a puppy dog for the next three weeks, hoping that maybe you give them a date. No, just say up front, no thank you. But if you do want to go on a date with them, just say yes. Stop being so weird about it. Okay, if we're going to get the guys to initiate, ladies, you need to respond. Okay, funny story. Whenever we first planted our church, there was this guy in our church who, like, every single week, he was, like, crushing on some new girl. But he was never confident enough to ask them out on a date. He was young, so we get, give him a little break. And I pulled him aside and said, dude, you got to get some confidence. You need to just go up to him and just ask him. And if they say no, the answer is next. That's it. And so he's like, yeah, you're right. I need to do that. So the next day, we're doing setup and teardown. He walks right up to this woman, and he goes, hi, I would like to take you out on a date. Would you like to go to a movie? And I'm like, and then she looked at her husband. <laughs> and she was like, I don't think so. And I was like, A for effort, buddy. <laughs> A for effort. Now we had, need to have a whole other conversation. Which also, not in my notes, don't ask out married people. <laughs> Guys initiate, ladies respond. Number seven, one date does not mean that you are dating. Christians are weird. They're like, we went out for coffee. Does that mean we're getting married? How many kids are we having? <laughs> Just because you bought her a mocha choco latte does not mean you have to buy her a ring. Okay, dating is evaluating. You go on a date, you get to know them, and if you like them, you go on a second date. And then after that, a third date. And then you see where it goes from there. Dating is a period of evaluation. One date does not mean that you are dating. But on the other hand, if you do go on a date with somebody, don't date three people at the same time. 
Okay, don't, 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 it's not roulette. You're not playing the table trying to see if I ask out 20 girls, maybe four will say yes and one of them will be my wife. No, just go one at a time. But one date does not mean that you are dating. Number eight, this one's very important. Have an exit strategy. So you got to think about dating like an interstate, right? You need to make sure that there's an off lane. You got to have this understanding of what you're looking for. So that way, when you find it, you want to pursue that. And when you don't see it, you want to get off. You want to have an exit strategy. Just because you're dating somebody, it doesn't mean that you owe them a relationship. See, your future is far too important for you to be worried about their feelings. Because you, you like them, they're nice, you know, they're cute, you, you, you really care for them. But what happens is this, is some people stay in a relationship way longer than they actually need to be in a relationship. You know it's not going where, they know it's not going anywhere, everybody around you knows it's not going anywhere, but you stay in that relationship because you don't want to hurt their feelings. Listen, your future is far too important for you to be worried about their feelings. The way you date determines the quality of marriage that you have in the future. So you need to be able to say, hey, um, this is where I get off. And then not get your feelings hurt because of that. Because remember, as Christians, we're looking for a future. And the decisions we make today determines the quality of marriage that we have in our future. You need to have an exit strategy. And this is one of the reasons that I tell you all the time, right? Wait until you get married to move in together. Because not only is cohabitation sin, straight up, that's what it is. It's sin. It's rebellion against God. It is not God's best for your life. It says the marriage bed will be undefiled. There is nothing about a boyfriend, girlfriend, or I met them at the bar bed. There's none of that. There is the, there is the, the marriage bed. Leave the marriage bed to be undefiled. But this is the reason why I tell people to not move in together. Because not only is it sin, but it removes your exit strategy. Because here's what happens. Now you're staying in the relationship because you are stuck. You are stuck in a lease. And so you're like, well, I've got a lease. So I guess I'm going to be in this relationship for at least another year. How romantic is that? Right? You're more worried about breaking the lease than them breaking your heart. That's another reason why it's not going to work. You're more worried about your credit score than you're worried about yourself. It's going to go on my record. Yeah, but how much trauma are you going to experience spending a year with somebody that you know you're not going to be with? Why waste your time without having an exit strategy for you to do that? I know people who, they'll be living together, but they don't even like each other. But they're so worried about, what are we going to do about our dog? You're not married. Right? You're staying in a relationship because you're worried about your lease, and now you feel stuck and obligated to be with them, even though you know you don't want to. It removes your exit strategy. So even just on a practical level, don't move in with somebody until you get married, which leads to number nine, remain two until you become one. Remain two until you become one. I was doing marriage counseling with a, a, a premarital counseling with a, with a couple in the church. And as I began speaking about Song of Solomon and we talked about gender roles and how a husband's job is to lovingly lay down his life for his wife and the, the wife is to respect and to love and to submit to the husband. And we started kind of talking about these things and I, she was leaning on the edge of her chair and she's like, this is really interesting. I said, have you ever heard this teaching? She said, yeah, but I've never heard this teaching this way. Because see, I grew up in a church 
And I had previous relationships where it was basically that my boyfriend or the church or those people, right, they had the authority over me. It's my boyfriend who I say, you can't hang out with them. Or you can't go there with them. Or you need to do this, right? I'm going to be, I'm the man in the relationship. And I said, that is spiritual abuse on his behalf. Because he's not your husband. Stop letting him pretend that he is. He is not your husband. You owe that man nothing. Because until you are married to him, you're under God's authority as God's daughter. Right? And so remain two until you become one. Now, when you become one, there's a whole reorientation that happens within the relationship. But until then, the two remain two. Until when you get married, you become one. So you're not half a person right now. As a single person, you are a whole person. Right? There's not like half of your soul over here, and they have the other half of your soul, and then maybe if you get together, then, the, then you'll finally be a full person. No, it's the two become one. It's one plus one equals one. That's Bible math. One person plus one person, and the covenant of marriage becomes one person. Okay, so remain two until you become one. People ask me all this. They say, well... When do we know that we're ready for that space? Did you know that in the Bible, there is no verses about boyfriends or girlfriends? It's not. It's totally invented by culture. The Bible says nothing about boyfriends and girlfriends. There's only a couple of different relationships in the Bible when it comes to men and women. Right? And so 1 Peter says that we're to treat older women like mothers and younger women like sisters. Okay? And then there's husbands and wives. So there's mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives. So here's my question for you. There's no boyfriend, girlfriend anywhere in the Bible. So the question becomes this. How do you treat your mother? How far would you go with your sister? That's an important question to ask. Where's the line with your sister? <laughs> That's the line with your boyfriend, girlfriend. See, you, until your husband and wife, you have no claim over each other. So you need to remain two until you become one. Here's how you do this. Three things. Limit your time. You're going to get a lot of time together when you're married, so take the time right now. Limit your time. Don't be spending all of your time with one another. Save some of that for later on in the marriage. You want to have healthy boundaries. Set a time whenever you're going to be at their house, and then just make a decision that you're not going to be alone together. You want to limit your time together. Second thing is limit your touch. Remember, before they're your husband, before they're your wife, they are your brother, and they are your sister. So limit your touch together. The next one is this, is limit your talk. Don't be making promises that you can't keep too soon. Don't, don't be saying, I love you forever and we're always going to be together because what you're doing is you're making promises without the intention or the commitment to keep them. Save your vows for the wedding day. There's a lot of people who they make promises early on in their relationship and then they feel stuck that they have to honor those promises because they said something they didn't mean and because they were caught up in the infatuation of the moment, they made promises they couldn't keep. No, limit your touch, limit your time, and limit your talk. Remain two until you become one, which leads to the last part is this. Become the person that the person you are looking for is looking for. One of the things that I've been hammering throughout this entire series, the theme for this series is this. Become the person that the person you are looking for is looking for. 
See, many times people are thinking, I want to find the right one. But very few times are they asking themselves, am I the right one? If you're single right now, this is a time where you become the one where you're growing in your holiness, you're growing in your godliness, you're developing your godly standard, you're working on your godly character, that you want to become the one, you want to become the person that the person you are looking for is looking for. That's what we see here in Song of Solomon, that she was developing godly standards. She was becoming the person that the person she was looking for was looking for. And then Solomon, he was growing in his godly character. He was becoming the person that the person he was looking for was looking for. And then when godly standards meets godly character, it equals better marriages. This is the same thing that we see throughout the Bible when it comes to the definition of marriage. What we see over and over again through scriptures is that for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father, that is godly character, young men, move out, will leave his mother and father and will cling to his wife. That is God's standard. And the two shall become one flesh. That is better marriages. That godly standards plus godly character equals better marriages. Song of Solomon is the Bible's guide to a better marriage. This is the way that God wants marriage to be. This is the way that God designs marriage to be. And it has great wisdom on decisions that we need to make today so we have a greater quality marriage for us in the future. So ladies, if you want to meet a man who's going to be your Solomon, Solomon, you're reading this and you're like, I need to find me a man like Solomon. Well, guess what you need to be? You need to be the Shulamite woman. That you're growing into the Shulamite woman that God has placed inside of your heart. That you are growing in godly standards. You want to be free. You want to be fun. You want to be confident. You want to be secure. You want to be bold. You want to be like the Shulamite woman. Stop worrying about your Solomon. Start working on the woman inside of you. You've got to become the person the person you're looking for is looking for. And for those of you, right, men, you want to find your Shulamite woman? Guess what you got to do? You got to become like Solomon. You need to be developing your character, growing in holiness, growing in godliness. Learn how to read your Bible, pray, learn how to give and to serve, learn how to respect and honor and treat and cherish a woman the way that Jesus loves the church. Respect the sisters in the church. Become the Solomon that God has placed inside every single one of these men. And when you become the Solomon... You will meet your Shulamite woman, and then you'll have a marriage like this because godly standards plus godly character equals better marriages. Nobody ever gets married with the intention to blow it. Nobody ever gets married with the intention to end in divorce. Nobody ever gets married hoping, I hope we last at least six years That's not the reason why people get married, because deep down inside, every single one of you single people, you know what you really want? You want a better marriage. You don't want a marriage the way that the world has it. You don't want a marriage the way that you grew up and you saw in your parents' house. You don't want a marriage like your seven friends who their marriages failed. You don't want a marriage like you see in culture, like you see on TV, or like you listen to in pop radio and all the songs that we sing. You don't want a marriage like that. Truthfully, deep down inside, every single one of you want a marriage like this because you want a better marriage. And here's how you get it. Godly standards plus godly character equals better marriages. Song of Solomon closes with this. 
Verse 13, O you who dwell in the gardens with companions, listening for your voice, let me hear it. She speaks, she speaks last. She says, make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Woo. Christian marriages are hands down the best marriages. And it's not because we are better than other people, but it's because we've made some decisions in our life that we're going to do things a little bit different. Christian marriages all across the board are better marriages. The lowest divorce rates in America, the least amount of abuse in America, the greatest reports of marital satisfaction, the greatest reports of sexual satisfaction. Women who are married to a man who goes to church and prays has more orgasms than women who do not. The Bible is taught in the homes. Children are more healthy. There are better opportunities and education levels for people who raise their children in godly homes because hands down across the board, research is in Christian marriages flat out are the best marriages in America. Why? Because God's way not only works, God's way is also better. Of course God's way works because God created marriage. God invented marriage. God determines what marriage is. He's the one who made it, but more than that, he's the one who can make it better. God's way not only works, but what we see in the scriptures is that God's way is better. God wants the best for your life. God wants his word. God wants his will. God wants to work in your life, work in your marriage. And if you let God work in your marriage, I guarantee you that God will make your marriage better. And so the decisions that you make today determine the quality of marriage that you have in the future. So let me close by giving you three decisions that you can make today. The first decision is this. Read your Bibles. I say this every single week throughout this series. Read your Bibles. Three decisions to make every day better. Read your Bible because this word is God's standard. This word is true, it's trustworthy, it tells us exactly who God is, it tells us what God expects of us, it tells us how we can live a life that glorifies and honors God. And so as you begin to read God's word, it's going to raise the standard in your life. Read your Bible. The second thing you need to do is pray. Because here's what prayer does. Prayer develops your character. Prayer is where you allow the Holy Spirit to begin working in the character areas of your life, confessing sin, repenting to the Lord, letting the Holy Spirit do the work of character development in your life. That happens through prayer. And then the last thing is this, is to go to church. I'm adamant about the local church. We're going to start a whole series, five weeks, where we study the local church. We are redemption. I love the local church. But let me tell you why I believe that going to church is the best thing you could do for your marriage. Because the local church saved me and Ashley's relationship as well. I don't know if you guys know this or not. The only reason that I am a Christian today is because 15 years ago, Ashley invited me to church. I was an agnostic, punk rock kid, strung out on drugs, alcoholic. Me and Ashley, we met, and she was living the same life I was. We were as far as from God as you could be. And then one night in her bedroom, Ashley prayed a very simple prayer, and she gave her heart to Jesus. The next day, she called me, and she said, Byron, I became a Christian, and I would like for you to take me to church. And I said, that sounds amazing. <laughs> but I didn't want to go. 
I didn't want to go. I didn't want anything to do. I thought it was going to be a one-time thing, and then it was going to be over, and maybe I'd take her to church once, and then it would be done, and she would never bring it back up again. And so after years being away, that Sunday I took her into community church in Orange, Texas. And as we were sitting there in church, the pastor was preaching, the band was playing, and I don't know what it was, but it was like he was speaking directly to me. And I got up at that altar call, I walked down to the front, I knelt on my knees, and I surrendered my life to Jesus. And that Sunday, my life changed forever. And me and Ashley, we began to seek God in our relationship. Were we perfect? No. Did we think, do things wrong? Yes. But we began to put God first in our relationship, and God began to change us. That for Ashley, she developed a godly standard. She wasn't going to put up with my mess anymore. She had a godly standard, and that developed a godly character in my life. And then when we began to put God first, when we made that decision, it led to a better marriage. On Friday, it'll be 15 years since Ashley brought me to church. And I've been bringing her to church every single Sunday ever since because godly standards plus godly character equals better marriages. And so I want to close by honoring my wife, Ashley. She's watching at home online. So Ashley, I want to let you know that I love you. But I don't just love you, I love you because... I love you because you led me to Jesus. I love you because without you, none of this would be possible. I love you because you stood by my side even when I didn't deserve it. I love you because you forgive me. I love you because you're an amazing mom. I love you because you're an incredible wife. I love you because you pray for me. I love you because you support me. I love you because you have moved across the country to plant churches. I love you because you experienced life change through Jesus and you want everybody to experience that too. I love you because Redemption Church would not exist if it wasn't for your prayers, if it wasn't for your faithfulness, if it wasn't for you 15 years giving your life to Jesus and then expecting more out of me as a man. I love you because you're my wife. And I know we're getting a little bit older, but I do want our marriage to be biblical. So if you want, I can be your young stag on the mountain of spices. (laughs) Because that is the Bible's guide to a better marriage. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.